Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor Q&B. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Good morning. It's Thursday, the 1st of February in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, Jerome Powell cements the Federal Reserve's pivot but downplays talk of a March interest rate cut as the focus shifts to today's Bank of England decision. Mark Zuckerberg apologises directly to the families of children who were victims of sexual exploitation on social media. And as Italy's debt levels continue to grow, Georgia Maloney now looks to the nation's savers to keep the country solvent. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. The Federal Reserve has held interest rates steady for a fourth straight meeting and signalled an openness to cutting them. Fed Chair Jerome Powell says while there has been dramatic progress in bringing down inflation, they need more data before cutting rates. We believe that our policy rate is likely at its peak for this tightening cycle and that if the economy evolves broadly as expected, it will likely be appropriate to begin dialing back policy restraint at some point this year. Despite his dovish words, though, Jerome Powell threw cold water on investors' hopes that rate cuts would begin in March. I don't think it's likely that the committee will reach a level of confidence by the time of the March meeting to identify March as the time to do that. But that's, that's to be seen. Um, so I wouldn't call, uh, you know, when you say when you ask me about in the near term, right. I'm hearing that as March, I would say I don't think that's it's probably not the most likely case or what we would call the base case. Powell also told reporters that Fed officials plan to start in-depth talks about the balance sheet at their March meeting. The decision to leave rates unchanged at a 22-year high of five and a quarter to five and a half percent was unanimous. The Bank of England is likely to deliver a brighter outlook for the UK economy today. In what may be good news for the Chancellor, the central bank is expected to reduce its forecast for inflation this year and potentially open the door to rate cuts. But Alex Brazier, Deputy Head of the BlackRock Investment Institute and former Executive Director for Financial Stability at the Bank of England, has told Bloomberg he expects policymakers to remain cautious. They've made really good progress on inflation And I do think it's important not to forget that. I think, though, they'll want to inject a sense of caution into how far interest rates could be cut this year. I think there are two things really to try and unpack this year. One is, is wage growth going to come down? as inflation comes, has come down. It, wage growth still, on the face of it, a bit too strong to be sure that inflation is going to settle at two. But the other for the UK is that we haven't really seen much growth over the last few years, and yet the economy doesn't have much slack in it because productivity growth's been very weak. The labour force hasn't really grown. So for the bank, it's really got to kind of grapple with the outlook for those supply-side issues as much as with the kind of standard ups and downs of spending. 
Alex Brazier's analysis matches that of economists surveyed by Bloomberg who unanimously expect the UK central bank to leave its key lending rate on hold at a 16-year high of 5.25%. The latest decision will be announced at 12pm London time with live coverage on Bloomberg Radio. To some breaking news this hour from the banking sector, profits at the French lender BNP Paribas have come in well below estimates in the fourth quarter. The bank reporting net income for the last three months of the year at 1.07 euro, billion euros. That's versus estimates of 2 billion euros. Earnings from fixed income trading also come in well below estimates for the quarter at 861 million euros. Turning next to Deutsche Bank, which has also just reported earnings, it announced plans to cut 3,500 jobs while planning a share buyback of €675 million. Pre-tax profits at Deutsche Bank came in below expectations at €698 million for the fourth quarter. Fixed income sales and trading revenue also underperformed there and missed estimates. We've also had numbers out this morning from ING, the Dutch lender. Fourth quarter net interest income missing estimates coming in at €3.88 billion. The estimate had been for €4 billion. Now, the Chancellor, Jeremy Hunt, says there's limited room for tax cuts in the coming budget. Hunt confirmed Bloomberg's reporting that government forecasts are looking increasingly tight. Bloomberg's James Wilcock has more. The IMF, the OBR and even the Treasury itself are all ringing alarm bells about the UK's debt sustainability. Now even the Chancellor is saying it. As things stand at the moment, things can change. It doesn't look like I'll have the kind of room that I had for those very big tax cuts in the autumn. Um, and I did mention that to the Cabinet. Jeremy Hunt there in an interview with ITV. Fiscal giveaways have been a key plank of the Conservatives' election plans, with the chair of the party saying there would be two more tax cuts coming this year. In London, James Woolcock, Bloomberg Radio. The Labour leader, Keir Starmer, will today pledge to boost productivity growth in a speech to top executives. The opposition leader will promise to look under the bonnet to lift productivity in the UK. The party's increasingly seen as the frontrunner in the next general election due to its more than 20-point lead in opinion polls. The CEO of Swiss private banking group Julius Baer is to step down over the firm's exposure to the collapse of the Cigna property empire. According to people familiar with the matter, the current deputy will take over the role until a permanent appointment can be made. Bloomberg's Tiwa Adebayo has the details. Julius Baer has been under scrutiny since it emerged in November that the bank had run up a $700 million exposure to the now-insolvent Cigna Group. The wealth manager's shares have slumped some 15% as regulators investigate its risk control structures. Now, CEO Philip Riekenbacher is said to leave the bank and be replaced by his deputy, Nick Dreckmann. The news comes after the Swiss government signalled that it plans to overhaul financial oversight and is set to make further proposals in the spring. In London, Tiwa Adebayo, Bloomberg Radio. Boeing CEO says the plane maker is responsible for the lapses in quality that culminated in a panel blowout on one of its 737 MAX jets last month. Speaking on a call discussing their latest earnings, Dave Calhoun outlined how the manufacturer is trying to ensure the Alaska Airlines incident isn't repeated. We caused the problem, and we understand that. We instituted additional quality controls and inspections at Boeing and at our supplier. We issued bulletins to suppliers to strengthen the focus on conformance and reducing the risks of quality escapes. 
Calhoun's comments came amidst an investigation into the cause of the accident. Boeing is downplaying its financial results as part of a shift to efforts to resolve the safety issues. In a break from tradition, the company didn't issue an earnings forecast as its jet production plans remain uncertain. And Mark Zuckerberg has apologised to families affected by online child sex abuse. During a Senate hearing on the matter, the CEO of Meta offered unexpected acknowledgement of the pain caused. No one should have to go through the things that your families have, have suffered. And this is why we invest so much and are going to continue doing industry-leading efforts to, uh, to make sure that no one has to go through the types of things that your families have had to suffer. Mark Zuckerberg's comments came after a number of social media industry leaders, including the CEOs of TikTok, Snapchat and Discord, were also questioned for hours by Congress. Despite sitting alongside fellow executives, the Facebook founder received most of the attention. Now in a moment, we'll get more on what we learned from the Federal Reserve in their decision and why Italy's government is turning to retail investors to help fund the economy. Another story that caught my eye this morning, though, about the phenomenon of doom spending. This is where people spend their savings on luxury purchases, like, for example, a Chanel handbag, because they feel that big financial goals like buying a home or saving for retirement are simply out of reach. It's essentially upending the traditional habit where people who are in an unstable economic situation would pull back on spending. Instead, people uh, under the, this trend of doom spending are splashing out on things that'll make them happy now because essentially the big things feel impossible. A study from the personal finance company Credit Karma says that 27% of Americans have admitted to indulging in doom spending. 43% of millennials the economics professor Stephen Wu is quoted in the piece as saying that it's a habit that's been growing since the 2008 financial crisis and, of course, exacerbated through through the pandemic. As one person quoted in the piece put it, it's a way to cope, although not perhaps the healthiest one. So that's another story that we've been looking at this morning. Let's get more details now on the decision from the Federal Reserve, which signalled an openness to cutting interest rates, but not yet. We'll discuss now with Bloomberg Opinion columnist Daniel Moss. Daniel, great to have you with us. Did, in your eyes, Jerome Powell do enough to convince markets that there won't be a rate cut in March? Yeah. He went out of his way to say that he did not think that was likely. Now, central bankers don't like to be categorical, but that's about as close as you're going to get. What I would emphasise, though, is just because it's not March doesn't mean it's not going to happen. You know, you read some Markish commentaries today, they've even described Jay Powell as hawkish. I wouldn't say that at all. We are on track to reduce interest rates this year. That story remains. It's just not going to be March. I was always sceptical about March. Why did the markets latch on to March? Because in March, you get another issue of the famous dot plot, And you get the summary of economic projections. So people uh, look around for these like big hairy events uh, as a way to benchmark their forecasts. March always felt a little optimistic to me. So Jerome Powell says they're not declaring victory over inflation, but looking at the change in language from the Fed and at the data, how difficult or how easy is what's left of that fight against inflation? So I wrote a well-received column last week on the famous last mile of inflation. Uh, There are a couple of things that central bankers the world over have been talking about in the last month or so. One is we're not declaring victory. 
And the other is, well, there's this saying about the last mile of inflation is the hardest. They both essentially amount to the same thing, which is, you know, don't push us. However, Powell is not saying that we need to see better data. He's saying we need to see more of what we've seen. And let's put this in perspective. PCE, which is the Fed's favourite inflation indicator, not CPI, is now 2.6. You're not that far off from the Fed's target, which is an average of 2% over time. In June of 2022, it was more than 7%. That is tremendous progress. Moving to what we're focusing on today, the Bank of England decision, should we be expecting a dovish tilt from Andrew Bailey as well? Well, a number of commentaries that I have seen talk about an end to English, excuse me, to UK exceptionalism. I realise they're not the same thing. (laughs) You know, the UK was seen as, you know, a bit of a basket case a year, 18 months ago. Inflation was pretty high. Growth was pretty sluggish. You know, the BOE's rhetoric has felt sort of stuck in a third quarter of 2023 mode. You know, a number of people are expecting the stance of the bank to be a little bit more in line with the ECB and with the Fed, which is we've made progress, things are looking good, can't declare victory yet. But, you know, if you want to predict interest rate cuts down the road this year, it wouldn't be the worst thing. Okay, Daniel Moss, Bloomberg Opinion Economist, great to get your views as we consider the Fed's decision and look ahead to today's Bank of England decision as well. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's turn to Italy now, where Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney is increasingly counting on the same people who propelled her to power to keep the country solvent. Attracted by rates that beat those on bank savings, Italian citizens have poured €100 billion into retail bonds in the first nine months of last year. Let's discuss this now with our credit reporter, Alice Gledhill, who's been reporting on this for Bloomberg. Alice, why is Italy selling these bonds to retail investors? So it pretty much all comes down to the fact that Italy has to sell so much debt to finance its economy and it's trying to diversify its investor base. So the government has been pretty open about this and politicians, including Prime Minister Giorgia Maloney and her finance minister as well, have talked about the benefits of doing so. They're also aware that Italy has been a major beneficiary of ECB's bond buying over the past decade. But central banks are no longer offering the backstop it once was, so that makes it even more important to tap new sources of demand now. And Italy is known for having these kind of massive private savings, and so the government's essentially just tapping that pool of cash. 
Um, there's also evidence that suggests retail bondholders are stickier than professional investors, meaning they're more likely to hold on to the bonds if the markets start getting choppy. And that can help reduce the volatility in bond prices. And actually, the, the, the bonds that are sold to retail are designed to encourage people to hang on to them. So the coupons, your, your, your interest payments, steps up in the final years of the, the bond's life. How difficult is it to sell these sort of bonds to retail investors? And are there risks involved? So it's so in terms of the ease, or at least in terms of the appetite, it's been really strong. So it's probably worth mentioning the fact that Italy sells a range of bonds that are available only to retail. Um, and it launched a new one last year, the, the BTP Valore bond. Um, and the first issue of that raised, I think it was 18 billion euros. And the second issue was almost the same again. Um, and actually the Ministry of Finance announced recently it's preparing to sell another issue of that bond this month. So we'll get a kind of sense of how demand is holding up. Um, but it's probably also a reflection of a kind of carefully contrived marketing campaign in Italy. You know, they've advertised these bonds on TV, on public transport. Um, and, you know, Italy's tried to make these bonds as accessible as possible. So, you know, the denominations are very small. You don't have to be a millionaire to buy them. Um, you know, the other thing to note is, you know, the proportion of debt in Italian hands, uh, sorry, the, the proportion of debt in the hands of Italians has risen, but it's still way below where it was sort of 20 or 30 years ago. And that sort of implies there's still plenty of capacity for, for more buying. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 11.30. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.